0: You are tuning in to Grove Point Dumaguete where it's all about relationships. We exist glorify God by making disciples in the Spirit of God. We hope that this message will bless your heart. Glad to have you here today. I just want to say welcome to Grove Point Dumaguete. And if you're visiting with us today, I just want to say thank you very much for coming. We are very glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be here today. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. We're going to look at a a familiar passage of Scripture, I guess, maybe for some. If you've been uh, born again any length of time, this is a familiar passage in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. Great subject today. Are you ready? One of the most famous moments that occurred in the Second World War. Now, I know that's a little bit dated for most of us, but I think it's in our mind was when the United States General, a man by the name of Douglas MacArthur, forced to leave the Philippine Islands by the Japanese, he said to the Philippine people, he said, I will return. Sure enough, two and a half years later, on October the 20th, 1944, he did. When he came ashore at the shores of Leyte, this is what he said. He said, this is the voice of freedom. He says, people of the Philippines, he said, I have returned. And certainly he did. And with the Philippine and American forces, they pushed out the Japanese. But you know, that American general was not the first, nor was he the greatest uh, man to announce his return. Remember, it was 2,000 years earlier that Jesus Christ said to his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 3, he said, I will come again. Do you know the greatest and the most often repeated phrase in the New Testament is that phrase I will come again, or the concept that Jesus said, I will return. The coming of Jesus Christ is without a doubt the most often repeated phrase in the entire New Testament. In fact, did you know that there are 300 prophecies concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And all of those prophecies concerning his life, death, and resurrection have been wonderfully and amazingly fulfilled. Did you know that? And yet... Although that is true, do you realize that for every one prophecy on his life, death and resurrection, there are 20 prophecies concerning his second coming? And it stands the reason if all of those 300 prophecies concerning his life, death and resurrection have been wonderfully and amazingly fulfilled. We can expect with the same certainty that every one of those prophecies regarding his second coming likewise will be fulfilled. Because the fact is, Jesus Christ is coming again. In our passage, we, we see what Paul calls the, the rapture of the church. And on God's prophetic timetable, that is the next event that we as the church of Jesus Christ are waiting for. We are waiting for the coming of Christ at the rapture of the church. Paul speaks of that rapture in our passage here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 17. Listen to what he says. Verse 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what we call the rapture of the church. You see, at any moment, Jesus Christ is going to appear in the clouds. And those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whether dead or alive, they will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And that is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. We, as a church, are awaiting Jesus appearing in the clouds, and those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Could you imagine when that day happens? It is said, faster than a man can blink an eye, Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, And about 500 million people around the world who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will instantly vanish from planet Earth. Could you imagine what's going to happen? It's going to create unbelievable chaos, as it were, upon the Earth. Planes are going to fall out of the sky because Christian pilots have been raptured. Driverless cars and buses and trains around the world are going to cause unimaginable damage. Why? Because their pilots and their drivers have been raptured. Doctors are going to be snatched from the operating room. Students are going to be vanished, as it were, from their classrooms. You see, children are going to disappear from their beds. People will be running out into the streets looking for that person to whom they were just talking to. Imagine what the newspapers will be like on the day after the rapture. Maybe bold headlines saying millions instantly vanished. And I guarantee you that the talk shows around the world are all going to be interviewing people who had been talking with a loved one and then vanished. And every story will be about the same. A wife will say, I came home, my husband came home from work and we embraced and we kissed and all of a sudden he just disappeared. My husband's going to say, I rolled over in bed and my wife was gone. Her bedclothes are there, but she has vanished. A young person will say, I was playing basketball with my friends. And all of a sudden, half the basketball team just vanished. Because you see, when Jesus Christ appears in the cloud, you see, he's going to rapture the church in an instant before a person can literally blink their eye. And friends, what's important to know about this is that this could happen at any moment. Do you realize that there is not a sign in the scripture that yet needs to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ will rapture the church? Every sign that is yet to be fulfilled is a sign pointing to the second coming of Christ and not the rapture of the church. In fact, it's what we believe as a church. The coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. He could come at any moment. Jesus Christ could come at any time. In fact, it is interesting when we look into the Bible. Never are we asked to be looking for signs. Did you know that? But we are, what are we to be looking for? We are to be looking for the immediate appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why we read in the book of Titus these words, Titus 2 and verse 13. The author said we are to be looking for. We are to be presently, every day, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is coming again. One day there was a preacher. His name was Robert Murray McShane, and he came to five of his friends, and he asked every one of his friends this question. He said, do you think that Jesus Christ will come today? And his first friend looked at him. He said, I I think not, not today. He asked the second, do you think Jesus will come today? And the second friend said the same. He said, I think not, not today. He asked the third, the fourth, and the fifth, the same question. And each gave the same answer, I think not, not today. And then he had them turn to the words of Jesus. Those familiar words in Matthew 24 and verse 44. And here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, be also ready, because in such an hour as you think not, so comes the Son of Man. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ is coming again. And because Jesus is coming again, here's the question I want us to consider. Are you ready? Jesus is coming again. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready for his return? And so in our passage, I want us to see simply two simple thoughts. I want us to see today what happens when Jesus Christ comes and then how we can be ready For our Lord's return. So, when Jesus Christ appears in the cloud to rapture the church, what's going to happen? Well, here's the first thing that happens. The Bible reminds us that each and every one of us, those who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there will be what the Bible calls the redemption or the remaking of our human bodies, the redemption of the body. You see, when Jesus appears in the clouds to rapture the church, here's the first thing that he does. He resurrects everyone who has died in Christ. He resurrects them. And as he resurrects them, he remakes them and he remakes their body in absolute glorious perfection. In fact, listen to what Paul said in our text here in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And notice he says, and the dead in Christ. That little phrase in Christ is important. That refers to an individual who has placed their faith in Christ. And those who have died in Christ, they will rise first. Because here's what happens when a Christian dies. When a Christian dies, immediately his soul and his spirit, they go to be with God. In fact, the Bible makes that clear. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, when it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's a separation of the soul and the spirit and they go to be with God. And that body goes back into the dust and that body awaits the rapture, of the church where that body then is resurrected. It is wonderfully remade and it is reunited with the soul and the spirit where they will forever be with the Lord. So there is a separation of that body. And by the way, as I mentioned last week, the body is not the real you. Remember that? Do you remember last week's message? You say, man, that was seven days ago. How can I remember? Well, let me give you you a refresher. Remember I said that the real you is not the body, right? That's why the things of life can't fully satisfy us. The body is just a, 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 a bag of skin. Holding in the real you, and the real you is what? It's that soul and that spirit. So the body dies, but you, your soul and spirit, they go to be with God. No such thing as soul sleep. You don't go to the dust and sleep and wait for Jesus to return. No, your soul and spirit go to be with God, and your body awaits a future resurrection. And when that body is resurrected at the rapture of the church, that body is gloriously and wonderfully changed. It is marvelously remade in that fact. Listen to what Paul said. It's a great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said this in verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery, a mystery, some things that we don't know, but the mystery is now going to go away. Notice what he says. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the rapture of the church, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This old body, with all of its aches and its pains, This old body that every day slowly decays. And the older you get, the more pain you feel. And young people, it's coming your day. Your day will come. But this old body is dying. But listen, one day this old body will be wonderfully changed. I remember reading a story about a family who, they were farmers way out in the country. and They had never been to this city. And so one day the mother, the the father, and the son came into the city And they saw sights and sounds they had never seen before. They saw tall buildings, and they saw shopping centers and things they had never seen. And so the husband dropped the wife off at at a shopping mall. The son and the father went to one of the largest and newest buildings in the city. And when they walked in the lobby, they saw something they had never seen before. They saw an elevator. And as they were looking at that elevator, wondering, what is that thing? They didn't know what an elevator was. They had never seen one. And so as they were looking at that elevator, they saw the doors open and they saw this old lady walk into the elevator. All of a sudden the doors closed. They saw the dial go from one side to the other side and from the other side to the other side. And then those doors opened and out came a beautiful young lady. And that old farmer got all excited. and He says, son, you wait right here. I'm going to go get your mother and I'm going to run her through that thing. See, he thought that elevator brought great change and changed an old lady into a beautiful young lady. But you see, in a bigger sense, that's kind of what our Lord is going to do to our bodies at the rapture of the church. Our bodies are going to be wonderfully and gloriously changed. You know, people often ask me when we talk about the rapture and the changing of the body, they say, well, what will your bodies look like? And the answer is this. Are you ready? I know what you're going to look like. Are you ready? You say, how do you know what I'm going to look like in the future? I know. Here's what you're going to look like. You're going to look absolutely the same without all the flaws. Did you know that? Do you know that in heaven we will retain our racial and our ethnic identities? Did you know that? Filipino will always be a Filipino. If you're not a Filipino, you'll be whatever you are. Okay, But we retain our racial identity. Ethnic identities you say like how do you know that because the Bible gives us that same idea Revelation 7 and verse 9 says this listen to this verse The Bible says in Revelation 7 and verse 9 John remember this is a great passage These are one of those passages where John gets a glimpse into heaven and he sees things and here's what he saw When he got a glimpse into heaven it says he saw a great multitude. That's a great phrase That means there's gonna be a lot of people in heaven. He saw a great multitude which nobody can number and notice what he saw. He saw people of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. He saw them in their racial and in their ethnic identities. But he saw them without all their flaws. You see, how do, I, how do you know that? Because they are going to be wonderfully and gloriously changed into the image of absolute perfection. Do you realize at the rapture, we may look the same? We may sound the same, but our bodies will be changed. Never again will our bodies be subject to decay, disease, or death. There will be no limp limbs. There will be no blind eyes in heaven. God is not going to rapture wheelchairs, canes, or crutches because our bodies are going to be wonderfully changed by the Master himself. So when Jesus comes to appear in the clouds, those who have died in Christ and those who are in Christ alive and remain, we are going to be caught up. And as we go from the grave, from the earth to Christ, our bodies are going to be wonderfully and masterly changed to absolute perfection. Are you with me? Here's a second thing that happens. We're then going to be, if you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, we are going to be rescued the Bible says, from the tribulation period. You might be thinking, the tribulation, what is that, you know? Well, the Bible reminds us that the very moment the church of Jesus Christ is raptured, the very moment those who are dead in Christ and alive and remain, the moment we leave this earth, the world is going to fall into a seven-year period called a tribulation. The church is gone. Everybody outside of Christ is left the Bible says that this world will fall into a tribulation. This tribulation will be a a time of unbelievable tragedy. In fact, it will be a time of unbelievable intensity. In fact, even greater than that atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima ending the Second World War, where in seconds, 70,000 people died. More destructive then that tsunami that hit the Indian Ocean a few years ago that took the lives of over 300,000 people will be this period called the tribulation. Listen for a moment to what the Bible says is going to happen during this seven-year period of the tribulation. In fact, we read, if you you were to read, Revelation chapter 6. This is the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The Bible says that during this first three and a half years, the world will be literally devastated by war and massive earthquakes. They will wipe out food supplies, creating global hunger, and killing one-fourth of our world's population in the first three and a half years after the church is raptured. It is said during the middle of the tribulation, 100-pound hailstones mixed with fire are going to fall from the sky to this earth. An asteroid or some large something or rather is going to come and strike the sea It's going to create a tidal wave that will literally devastate coastal cities, killing another quarter of our world's population. In the middle of the tribulation, also in Revelation chapter 9, we're told that a, a plague of locusts are going to sweep the earth, causing such pain that people are going to beg God just to die. And just as things can't get worse, the unthinkable happens. Nuclear bombs are dropped upon the cities, of this world, as a result, destroying another two-thirds of human life, animal life and all plant life. In fact, you may be sitting there and think, well, that's never going to happen. Nuclear weapons are never going to happen. You know, it was Ronald Reagan who said, maybe 30 years ago, he says, man has always used every weapon he has ever devised. It's just a matter of time. And the Bible records for us, I believe, in Revelation 16, that there is such A a, a, a explosive tragedy on earth that many Bible scholars believe that that is nothing more than a nuclear bomb happening. Destroying, listen, when it's all done, said and done at the end of these seven years, two-thirds of our entire planet has been destroyed. Human life, animal life, and plant life. And I think that's why Jesus made this statement, these words of warning to us, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21 and verse 22. Listen to what he said. Let's read it carefully, all right? Here's what he said. Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation. Great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world. In other words, this is a point of history that has never been seen before. This is more destructive than anything that has ever before happened. And he goes on to say, he says, nor shall ever be. In other words, it will never get worse than this. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Friends, that is the tribulation. And you know, I've been thinking, well, you know, this is pretty bad news here on a Sunday morning. You know, that's, a, that's pretty heavy for me. I just got out of bed. You know, I, I haven't even had my first coffee this morning. Well, if you haven't had your first coffee this morning, shame on you. I'm just teasing, all right? But I say it to say this. Here's why I, I, I mentioned to the tribulation. Because if you're a child of God today, if there has been that moment where you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are going to be rescued from this fiery trial called the tribulation. Are you with me? That's why we need to be ready. Friends, the fact of the matter is the church is going to be raptured and the world is going to fall into tribulation. And we must be ready for his return. And if you're ready because you have placed your faith and trust in him, then you're going to escape this period that the Bible calls the tribulation. You see, just before this tribulation, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. Those who have died in Christ are going to be resurrected. Those of us who may be alive and remain, we're going to be cut up to be with the Lord in the air. And then the world will plunge into this seven-year period called the tribulation. In fact, Jesus speaks of our rescue when he said this in Revelation 3 and verse 10. Here's what he said. He said, because you have kept my commands to preserve. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Now, this is a very important phrase. Now, the hour of trial is just a synonym for the tribulation. And notice what he says. He says that he's going to keep us from this hour of trial. He's going to keep us from it. Notice he didn't say he's going to preserve us through it. He didn't say he's going to keep us in it. He said he's going to keep us what? He's going to keep us from it. You see, he's going to deliver the church from this seven-year period called the Tribulation. Here's something interesting for you. All right, this is a... We'll take it a little deeper. Are you ready? Are you ready for this this morning? A little deeper. Do you know in the first three chapters of the book of the Revelation, the word church occurs 19 times. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 2, and Revelation chapter 3, the word church occurs 19 times. But from Revelation chapter 4... To Revelation chapter 19, that long period, the word church does not occur at all. You say, why? Because Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 19 is talking about the tribulation. And the reason the church is not mentioned in those chapters is because the church is not there. The church occurs again in Revelation chapter 20, where we see the church in heaven. So in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see the church on earth, talked about 19 times. When the church in Revelation 3 and verse 10 is taken out of this world, the tribulation starts, Revelation chapter 4, all the way to Revelation chapter 19, the word church does not occur. And then after chapter 19, all of a sudden John gets a glimpse of heaven, and know what he sees? He sees again the church, reminding us that the church of Jesus Christ is not in the tribulation. Can I take this thought one step farther? Was that okay? Okay. A little deeper. Hey, did you know that in the scripture, God never pours out his wrath on the righteous? Did you know that God never pours out his wrath on the righteous? That's why the church is not in the tribulation. God never, there is no, there is no recorded incident in the Bible where God pours out his wrath on the righteous. God only pours out his wrath on unrepentant sinners. And he only pours out his wrath on unrepentant sinners after the church of Jesus Christ, or after the righteous are gone. Did you catch that? He only pours out his wrath on unrepentant sinners after the righteous are gone. Here's an example God only poured out his wrath upon the world after Noah and his family were safely in the ark. God only poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah after Lot and his family were safely out of the city. And the same way God is not going to pour out his wrath on this earth until the church of Jesus Christ is safely delivered at the rapture of the church. And friends, that's why we need to be ready. You see, if you're here this morning and you are still an unrepentant sinner, then God is going to pour out his wrath upon you and upon this earth after his church, the righteous are delivered. Friends, reminding us, we must be ready. Jesus Christ is coming again. And so what happens? When Jesus Christ appears in the cloud, he takes those who have died in Christ and those who are alive and remain, and we are caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And between earth and heaven, our bodies are wonderfully and gloriously remade to perfection. And by snatching us out of this earth, we are going to be rescued From this fiery trial, the Bible calls the tribulation. But here's a third thought. Not only is there going to be a remaking of our bodies and a rescuing of us, the people of God, but there then will be a reunion with all those who have died in Christ. Listen to what Paul says back in our text. Verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, And we who are alive and remain, we shall be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will be caught up, notice, together with with them, referring to all believers. You see, at the rapture, we're going to be resurrected, we're going to be wonderfully remade, we're going to be rescued, and then there will be a glorious reunion for all who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the greatest truths of Scripture is this, this death Is not the end for the child of God. Death is not the end. Friends, there's more to life than what you see right now. This is not it. You know, the Bible says, as believers, we're just pilgrims passing through a temporary abode. We await our future home that is eternal. You see, as children of God, we have hope. And what is the hope? Death is not the end for the child of God and there will be for you if you know him and if you trust for him there will be a glorious reunion with all who have died in Christ you know what we call that? good news are you with me? hey that's why we have hope that's why the, that's why the, the Christian message is a message of hope that's it there's hope this is not all there is, okay? The best is yet to come, and that's eternity with the God who loves you, the God who made you, and the God who died to save you from your sin. I heard this story some years ago of a lady. She was a Christian lady. She loved the Lord, and she went to the doctor. The doctor said, you know, you're 80-plus years of age. Your health is not good, and I do not think you have very long. You should call your family together and get your things in order. So she did. She went home and she called together her, her, her kids. Her husband had already died. She had nine children. And she called each of her nine children in one by one into her bedside. And as they came into her bedside, they would kneel down and she would, she would talk to them a little bit. She would put her head upon their hands. She would pray for them. She kissed each upon the forehead. And to the first eight children, she simply said, good night, good night. I will see you in the morning. This is exactly what she did for the first eight. She, they would come in. They would kneel down. She would kiss them, pray for them, and then she'd say, good night, good night. I will see you in the morning. But the ninth son came in, and she did the same. He knelt down. She put her, head, or her hand upon his head, kissed him, and then she said, goodbye, son, goodbye. And he was a little shocked, and he said, he said mother, he said, why did you say good night to my brothers and sisters, and you said goodbye to me? And she said, son, because your brothers and sisters are believers, And when I die, I'm going to see them again. I'm going to see them on resurrection morning. So it's simply good night. I will see you on resurrection morning. But son, it is not so with you. Because you have not placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It is goodbye. And it is goodbye forever to an eternal hell. And friends, do you realize the same is true for every single person? Because you see, those who die without Christ, it is goodbye and it is goodbye forever. In fact, Jesus warns us of that when he made this statement to us in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus said this. He said, he that believes in the Son has everlasting life. What a great promise. Friends, if you believe, if you make that choice to trust Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, notice the promise. He says, you will have everlasting life. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. And friend, that's why we need to be ready. But you see, for all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is not goodbye, but it is simply good night. I will see you on resurrection morning. You know, I have the opportunity to travel around this world and preach the gospel. And I love going to a church and saying to a church, good night, church. I will see you again. Because you know that's true? We may never see each other again on this earth, but we'll see each other again. We're going to see each other on resurrection morning. We're going we're to meet together first in the clouds, and then, good or bad, we're going to spend eternity together in heaven. Okay? But that is our hope. And friends, there's nothing greater than hope. I remember that it was in 1996. I was pastoring a church in Singapore at the time. And my wife and I got a phone call that my father was dying. My family said that I needed to come home, hurry. They didn't think my father would live long. And so we got on a plane, flew back to the States. A couple days later, we walk into the hotel, or into the hospital room. And there my dad is laying in a comatose state, been kind of in, coma, in a coma for about a day or so. And sitting next to his bed was a man by the name of Jim Ramos. Jim Ramos was a man who was responsible for my salvation. First man to share the gospel with me, discipled me after I became a believer and Apparently, my mother-in-law called Jim and said, Jim, Mike's dad is dying and he is not saved. Would you go there and share the gospel with him? So Jim came and there he sat at my father's bedside for three solid days. I mean, he was there for three days and for three nights waiting for my dad to come out of a coma. And so I came up to Jim, I greeted him and I said, Jim, what's going on? He says, Mike, with a big smile upon his face, he said, yesterday, your dad came out of a coma and he was coherent for about two hours. And he said, and I, in those two hours, shared the gospel with your dad, and your dad made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as a Savior. But I wasn't very happy because I knew my father. Okay, I was his son, and I knew that my father was very adamant against the gospel. I was the first believer in my family, just like some of you. And I remember I'd go home and I would share the gospel with my father. and My father would turn to me, you know, and he would, my dad would give it back to me. I would give it to him. He would give it to me. And, And that's the way it went on for about 18 years. And then all of a sudden my father is here on this deathbed. So I, I asked God, I said, God, would you please let me talk to my dad before he dies? I want to talk to him about his salvation. And so 12 hours I sat by his bedside. And remember I was just standing over his, his bedside one day and I was looking down into his face and all of a sudden his eyes just, boom, they just opened. I remember looking down and I said, Dad, and he acknowledged me. You know, he acknowledged, squeezed my hand. I said, Dad, it's Mike. And he, he acknowledged my presence, couldn't speak very well, but he squeezed my hand. And I wasted no time. I said, Dad, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad we have this moment. But, Dad, can I ask you a very important question? I said, Dad, Jim tells me that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And my dad just kind of acknowledged that. And I said, Dad, are you right now trusting Jesus and Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior? And my dad looked at me, and he acknowledged, and he squeezed my hand. Then I had the joy of saying, Dad, then I will see you again. And Christian, that's our hope. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Lord? You know, to be ready, I just want to close with this. To be ready. Every one of us need to ask two questions. And we need a yes to each question. Are you with me? So here are two questions and we're done. Now, don't get the idea we're going to be done in five minutes. You with me? Okay, we're just coming to the end. All right. Two questions. Question number one. Are you ready? Are you trusting the Lord? You see, to be ready to meet the Lord, we have to be trusting the Lord. In fact, Paul makes that very clear in our passage. I want you to see this. It's in verse 14. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, for if we believe, notice that's the key word, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him all those who sleep in Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? Do you believe? Do you believe what? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Because here's what many people think. People think, well, you know, I can wash away my own sins. Well, if you can wash away your own sins, then why did Jesus die for your sins? He died for your sins because you can't wash away your own sins. Are you with me? That's why he died. He died to do for you and for me what we cannot do for ourselves. We don't wash away our sins by what we do or what we do not do. We don't wash away our own sins by simply being faithful to church, prayer, catechism, you know, All of these things, we don't wash away our own sins. You can't wash the sin that has stained your soul. That's why Jesus came. He came to do for you and me what we can't do for ourselves. So God is saying, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And then notice he says, he says that we believe that he died and he rose again. Listen, Jesus is not on the cross, He's not in the tomb. Where is he today? Hey, Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God the Father on the throne on high in a place of victory. Why? Because he defeated sin, death, and hell on your behalf. So I ask you, have you trusted in he who has died for you and who rose again? And in his resurrection, he gives us confidence that he can do for us what we have asked him to do. Have you asked him to be your savior? Have you come to that point in your life? You said, Lord, I cannot wash away my own sins, but I believe that your son, Jesus Christ came to die for me, to do for me what I can't do for myself. And notice his promise. He says, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with those who die. Good news. Good news. Have you made that decision? I say that because if Jesus were to come back tonight and you're not saved. If He were to come to rapture the church tonight and you're not saved. Do you realize that you might just lose your opportunity of being saved? Because there's no guarantee that you'll be saved during the tribulation. Are you with me? There's no guarantee. You might die in one of those massive earthquakes. In your sleep. You might die when a nuclear bomb falls upon a city. You might die when that asteroid hits the sea and your coastal town floods. See, there's no guarantee that you'll be saved during the tribulation. That's why the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. You know what one of the devil's greatest lies is? By this lie, he damns many to eternity. Is this. There's no hurry. You have time. You have time to make this decision. You have time to be saved. You have time to be forgiven. You don't have to make it now. You have time. Sow your wild oats. Get a fill of sin. And then put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no hurry. But you know, that's a lie because there is a hurry. Because the most often taught truth in Scripture is this. Jesus Christ is coming again. You know why God gave us that? Because God wants us to know that you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. You have no certainty that you'll wake up alive tomorrow. That's why today is the day. And not to hurry and to put it off. Friends, Is a lie of the evil one. Reminds me of that old story. I heard that one day the devil came to three of his demons and he asked them, what is your plan to deceive this world? And the first demon said this. He said, devil, my plan is to tell people there's no God. And the devil looked at this demon. He says, that won't work. Everybody knows there's a God. Eternity is written on the heart of man. People know that. The other one says, well, I'll tell them that there's no hell. And the, the, the devil says, no, listen, people know that there is a, there, there's a penalty and there's a, there's a payment for their own sin. That won't deceive anybody. And the third one said, devil, I will tell them that there is no hurry. There the devil with a smile upon his face looked at him He said, Yes, that's it. With that we will deceive many. Friends, there is a hurry. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. If you're here this morning and you're not certain that your sins are forgiven. And you're not confident that you're on your way to heaven. If you do not remember a time when you have understood the gospel It's clarity that Jesus came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. If you've not repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then what are you waiting for? Let today be the day of salvation for you. So I ask you this question. Are you trusting the Lord? But maybe you're here this morning and say, I'm trusting the Lord. Then I ask you a second question. Are you living for the Lord? You see, because if you place your faith in Him, Then the next question is this, are you living for the Lord? You see, what would the Lord find you doing if He were to come tonight? How would He find your life? Would He find you a fruitful or fruitless Christian? Would your lifestyle embarrass you in His presence? Would He find you living in fear or would He find you living in faith? You see... The Bible warns us believers of this. And I've already mentioned this. When Jesus Christ comes, that he's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. Remember we read that verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know what a twinkling of the eye is? The twinkling of an eye is a blink. Did you catch that? That's a blink. Did you see that? That's a blink. Okay. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come faster than you can blink an eye. By the way, do you know how fast an eye blinks? I didn't think so. Not one of those facts we learn in school, right? But here it is, I'll tell you, you'll never forget it. Test next Sunday. Here it is. An eye blinks at 1 hundredths of a second, faster than any other part of the human body. When the Bible says that Jesus is going to come in the blinking of an eye, here's what the Lord is saying: that when Jesus Christ comes, it's gonna happen so fast that if you blink, you're gonna miss it. Okay? Jesus is gonna come and it's gonna happen so fast that at that moment you'll have absolutely no time to react. The pilot, the Christian pilot, will not have time to say to his passengers, hey, put on your parachute. Jesus is here and I'm out of here. Hey, the Christian taxi driver is not going to have time to pull over to the side of the road and say, hey, you can get out because I'm going to heaven. The Christian doctor is not going to have time to finish his surgery, all right? The Christian will never have another opportunity to make things right with brothers and sisters in Christ. At that moment, we will not have an opportunity to make things right, to rebuild our broken relationship, to share the gospel with our family, our friends, and our loved ones. Because when Jesus Christ appears in the cloud, hey, listen, it's going to hap- happen faster than you can blink an eye. That's why we as the people of God, we too must be ready. And I think that's why Jesus said this in Mark chapter 13. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, watch therefore. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming. You don't know when he's coming. He may come in the evening. He may come at midnight. He may come at the crowing of the rooster in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And he said, what I say to you, he says, disciples, I say to all, to us, watch, be ready. Because Jesus Christ is, is coming again. So I ask you today, are you ready? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm not ready because I'm not trusting the Lord. Well, would you let today be the day of salvation for you? Maybe you're sitting here and as you're listening to this message, on the inside, there's just that tug and that pull, that there's that internal anxiety, and something inside of you is crying out saying, I'm not sure. I'm not confident. Then let's settle that matter today. And then today come to him. And say to him, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I, I get that. And I believe today that you died for my sins. You died to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I realize that you rose again victorious. And I want to place my trust in you and you alone. I turn from my sin. And in faith, I'm going to trust you as my Savior. And God gives you that confidence. And we read the verse that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if that is your need today, then come to him. And you can walk out of here with a smile upon your face and you can say, yes, I am ready. But maybe you're here this morning and you say as a child of God, one who's in Christ... I'm not where I ought to be. And I know I'm not living for the Lord. And therefore, I'm not ready. Just come to him and tell him about it. Then ask him to help you. Maybe today God's been tugging and pulling at your heart to share the gospel with your, your friends, but you're not doing it. Your family, but you're not doing it. God's stirring you today. You know, you can trust him in that. You can trust him in that. God died for your family. God died for your friends. And Jesus is coming again, and he says he wants us to awake out of our sleep and watch and be ready and to get up every day, realizing the day might be that day, living in the light of his imminent return. Friends, if God is speaking to your heart today, in a moment, I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads, and I'm going to give an invitation today. If you're here this morning and not certain that your sins are forgiven, you're not confident you're on your way to heaven, Then I want to help you today to make sure and to be certain that you're on your way to heaven. And you, if you're a child of God today, I want you right in your seat just to pray, God, help me. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not doing what you want me to do, but I know I ought to. And I want to live in the light of your imminent return. Talk to him about that. God will meet you at your present need. So let's bow for prayer, shall we, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, I just want to say thank you today for this great passage, reminding us as a church that, God, you are coming for us. And when you do appear in that cloud, that our bodies, these old, broken-down bodies, are going to be wonderfully remade. Lord, we're going to be rescued from this fiery trial of the tribulation, and for that we are thankful. There's going to be a time of glorious reunion forever with you, And all who are in Christ in heaven throughout eternity. And for that we're thankful. Lord, we're thankful that's possible because of what you did for us on the cross. And I want to pray today for some who are here today. And they would feel in their heart that they're not ready. Because they're not trusting you. That's where you find yourself today. You're here this morning not certain that your sins are forgiven. Not confident that you're on your way to heaven. God has been tugging and pulling at your heart, and today you want to get ready. Today you want to settle this matter. If that's where you find yourself this morning. You're not saved, you're not sure, or you're not certain. You're not confident that you're ready to meet the Lord, but you want to be. Here's what I you to do. I want you right where you are in your seat right now just to lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm not ready, but I want to get ready today. I'm not trusting him, but I want to trust him right now. I want you to lift up your hand, you can put it right back down, and I'll have a word of prayer with you. God is speaking to your heart in this regard. I'm not ready, but I want to get ready. God is speaking to you. I want you right now just to lift that hand up and say, that's me. Please pray for me. Just put it up and you can put it right back down. I have a word of prayer with you. God's speaking to your heart. Listen, if there's an internal anxiety, if there's a tug and a pull, God's speaking to you. If God is speaking to you, answer his call. One last time, God is speaking to me. I am not certain, but I want to get certain. I'm not ready, but I want to get ready right now. God's speaking to me. Maybe you here this morning and say, listen, I've trusted him. But I'm not in every area of my life living for him, but I want to. And I want to live in the light of his imminent return. If that's where you are today, then right now just talk to God about it. Lord, we just want to say thank you this morning for the reminder of your word, this glorious reality that you are coming again. So Lord, take your word this morning, speak to our hearts, help each of us as believers here to be living in the light of your imminent return. Lord, thank you that you are coming after us. And I pray that we would begin in a fresh and a new way To live for you. Bless your people. Meet their needs. Thank you for your love for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.